podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. 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 Yo, 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 what's going on, people? You're now locked into the Dish Nomics podcast. I hope you've had a great week so far. As per usual, I always give a young shout out to the previous episode. I spoke on the sacking of Suella Braverman. Who Suella Braverman is as a person, her history in law, how she rose to power when she got elected, what she stands for, some of her greatest hits, and I say that tongue in cheek, and why she eventually got canned, and who obviously took over the reins of Suella. So that's some British politics for you. But this week, we're going back onto the theme of the previous week's one, which is regards to the conflict going on currently in Gaza and the West Bank, really, along with Israel. And I'm, and I think even personally, I'm not sure if I'm even going to call it a war because it's really just like a glorified invasion in retaliation to a heinous act of terrorism. But what I'm going to do is... And I think we've seen a lot of things on social media with regards to the lack of coverage of some of the brutality and even challenging some of the really, really pathetic attempts of fake news from the Israeli government and the IDF. And we are starting to see the likes of BBC and CNN and Sky News really start to challenge that. But you guys know that the people that listen to me, my my loyal listeners, over the years, since 2016 and the newer ones as well, know that I like to keep it 100% real, do you get what I'm saying? So I'm going to be answering the questions, or not answering the question, raising certain, I want to say issues, certain points of emphasis, right, that the mainstream media isn't really raising. And you only really see these points of emphasis if you happen to see certain retweets from people who really study the Middle East or people who from Israel. And obviously this took a bit of research, of course. You know how I do, I like to keep my research. Bro, man was even signing up for Israeli newspapers, bro. So man can get the real gist from saying, so I'm getting it from all types of sources. Nobody's really talking about Benjamin Netanyahu and his political career and his affiliations and his very, very strong ties with Hamas. Which you naturally think would be at the forefront of of discourse, seeming as the issue and the war is with Hamas, allegedly. And nobody's discussing his impact in the rise of Hamas. But guess what? That's what I'm here for. Do you know what I'm saying? So, yep. In this pod, I'm going to be talking about Loads of things. One, I'm going to give you a quick breakdown of the Israeli of the Israeli political system, so you can kind of understand why they have a president and a prime minister, and why they've had so many different elections, and why Benjamin Netanyahu has been prime minister several times. And then I'm going to speak about Benjamin Netanyahu himself, his history, his um, his family, his career, his his ethos on politics, and then I'm going to speak about Benjamin Netanyahu and Hamas. And I believe this podcast will be a very serious eye-opener for the overall majority of you. But yeah, quick housekeeping. 
If you listen to this for the first time, thank you. God bless you. Make sure you're following Dysonomics on Insta, underscore Nomics on Twitter. Uh, follow up, join the Dysonomics channel on Instagram. On my Instagram, I post news like several times in a week and I also post news videos. I'm going to try to jump on the TikTok thing and hopefully the YouTube thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, I think that's about it pretty much. Yeah, but yeah, man. Let's get it cracking. Why is no one talking about this? Hi, it's MXM and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's late. First things first, we're going to speak on the Israeli political system to kind of set the table of other stuff we're going to discuss, right? So Israel has a is a parliamentary republic with a president as the head of state. So there's an Israeli president, an Israeli prime minister. I think Russia's pretty similar. There's a prime minister and a president, but all that matters is Putin's in charge. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? The president's powers are pretty much ceremonial, while the prime minister is the actual one with executive power, right? The official residence of the prime minister, Beit Ahigon, is in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is also in the West Bank. Interesting. Israel's political system has an electoral system of called PR, proportional representation, which is different from what we have here, which is the first pass of votes, also known as FTPT. FPTP, yes, yeah, I said it right first time. So FTPT, which is first pass of post, is we've got a bunch of candidates trying to win the constituency seat. So let's say the constituency is Stratford. You have a bunch of people going against each other. Whoever has the biggest amount of votes wins. So first past the post. So let's say there's five candidates. Um, one candidate gets 10%, another candidate gets 10%, another candidate gets 10%, another candidate gets 10%, and then the remaining candidate gets 60%. They win because they got the most votes. But that's not the case for most, most parts where there's like a very big majority. Sometimes one candidate can get 35% of the vote. Somebody else gets 29, somebody else gets 18 and so on and so forth. Even though the majority of people didn't decide on the person who had the most votes, they win. So you can effectively have 33% of the vote somewhere in theory and still be the winner of that system. Whereas, and then obviously in the UK, whoever wins, wins the seat. And the, part, the party with the most seat um, has the ability to form a government if they have a majority. So that means they have more seats above 50%, then they actually have a government because they can effectively push through whatever law they want. But if you get cases like 2010 general election, where and also the 2017 general election, when there was a minority government, a government, so you had the Conservatives winning the election, but didn't have enough seats to have a majority, they may have to form coalitions. So in 2010, David Cameron joined with Nick Clegg of the Liberal Democrats Party to form a government. And then I believe in 2017, it was Theresa May and she formed a coalition of the DMP from Northern Ireland and maybe some other players. I can't remember off the top of my head. Whereas in Israel, they have a proportional representation system. This system means whatever percentage of the votes you get, that is how many seats you get, right? They have 120 seats in the Knesset. Um, and a typical Knesset includes many factions represented. And they have a multi-party system. And that's why they have numerous coalition governments. 
So now we're going to talk about Benjamin Netanyahu, the current Israeli Prime Minister. And what I've just, the spiel I've just given you will kind of make sense in a few minutes. So who's Benjamin Netanyahu? He is the, he's the current Israeli Prime Minister. He's been Prime Minister since last year, since um, 2022. He's also previously held office on numerous occasions, in 1996 to 1999, in 2009, in 2021, He's also the chairman of the Liquid Party. Um, they are a right-wing party. He's the most tenured prime minister in Israeli history. He's been prime minister for a combined total of 16 years and counting. This, is, of course, is different to the American presidential system where you can only be um, president for a maximum of eight years. You can only serve two terms and each term is four years. Whereas in the UK, you can serve a limited amount of terms. Tony Blair was prime minister from 1997 to maybe like... 2008-ish and where he stepped down and Gordon Brown took over and then Gordon Brown eventually lost to David Cameron in 2010. Interesting fact, Benjamin Netanyahu is also the first prime minister to actually be born in Israel. Because remember, Israel became Israel after the Declaration of Independence in 1948 under very, very gruesome circumstances. Benjamin Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu, who's also known as Bibi, was born in 1949. In his political career, he was also formerly a representative of Israel towards the United Nations. He has formed various coalition governments with other right-wing parties. As I said, there is a proportional representation electoral system. So to form a coalition government, he had to collaborate with other parties and naturally with his um, political philosophy and ideology being the right side of things he had to do a bad bitch link up with the right side of things in Israeli politics there was a there was a period of deadlock in Israeli politics uh, for three consecutive elections failed to produce a government in 2019 and in 2020 2022 he formed the coalition again and they went for these big judicial reforms these reforms cause a lot of protest in the country. And so this kind of gives you a prelude to what's going on. Benjamin Netanyahu was under a lot of pressure before the October 7 tragedy. And there's other stuff which I'm going to talk about, which kind of further accentuates the fact that he, he was a man in trouble, politically and criminally. In February 2023, Israeli government approved legislation of nine settler outposts in the West Bank. Now, uh, for those who haven't been paying, who didn't listen to my previous podcast, well, two podcasts ago with regards to the history of Palestine from 1848 up until now, uh, obviously Palestine was a land that had a bunch of Arabs. Um, then eventually, with the help of the British United Nations and violent, Israel, um, violent Zionist militias, um, the majority of Palestine was effectively confiscated from them. And the regions that they had to themselves was the West Bank. So that's the West towards, which has a border with Jordan. No, that's not towards the West, that's towards the East really, but it has a border with Jordan. And towards the West, there was the Gaza Strip by the the the, the, Gazaian, the Gaza Sea or River, I can't remember which, which one it is, right? So these are the two bits of land that Palestinians currently occupy. However, the West Bank is also pretty heavily occupied by Israelis. Uh, as we spoke in prior, right? So, 
February 2023, the Israeli government under Netanyahu approved legislation for nine settler outposts in the West Bank. Naturally, Israeli peace groups oppose this. Naturally, Palestinians oppose this. March 2023, his government repealed a 2005 law, which is so a, a law that was in that was going on for about 18 years, whereby four Israeli settlements were dismantled as part of Israel's disengagement of Gaza. So they left Gaza, they got rid of these settlements. So he effectively repealed this to kind of say, yeah, you look to start to increase your settlements in these occupied lands, even though we already confiscated damn near 85% of your initial country. June 2023, his government shortened the procedure of approving settlement construction. So there was a particular procedure in terms of how basically it was a lot harder to, for settlements to be approved and to eventually be constructed under the laws generated by Israeli governments over time. He sought to kind of undermine this and make it an easier process. Therein for, that's even a word, therefore, sorry, the likelihood of more Israeli settlements in the West Bank and Gaza would increase. The finance minister, Smutrich, which we want to talk about later, was given the authority to approve one of these stages. This gentleman, spoiler alert, lives in the West Bank and he is kind of pro the annexation of the West Bank and, is pro and he doesn't believe in a two-party state, two-state, two-nation state solution. Naturally, he's going to approve everything pretty much because that's what the type of time he's on. This was a change in the system that previously been in operation for 27 years. In the first six months, 13,000 housing units were constructed, which was triple the amount in the whole of 2022. So the new Benjamin Netanyahu government was increasing settlements in, in places where they shouldn't be occupied, which of course leads to conflict and controversial. Let's talk more about the Likud, the Likud party coalition. Let me talk about some of the people in my man's cabinet to let you know what type of government this is, what their philosophy is, which will then empower you or enlighten, shall I say, to understand and look at their actions with more clarity. Let's start with the Defence Minister, Yoav Gallant. He's a member of Mr Netanyahu's Liquid Party. He was a former armed forces chief in 2011, but he had to step aside over allegations he carried out building works on his home without a permit. So that's him. So somebody, uh, one disgraced politician. Then we've got Finance Minister, which I mentioned, Bezel Smutrich. He's a West Bank settler, and he heads, he heads up the hardline religious Zionism party. He raised concerns that, um, that Israel would prosper if it embraced biblical values. But obviously this was very controversial and he has to walk it, walk it back. So he's like, listen, 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 I'm, I'm, a, I'm a competent finance minister. I'm for the free markets. He also opposes Palestine state, Palestinian statehood. What does this mean? He doesn't believe Palestine should be a state that means there will be a sovereign country like Ukraine, like Poland, like England, like Jamaica, like Nigeria, so on and so forth. He doesn't believe that, right? He agitated against Israel's Israeli minority Arab citizens. He's condemned LGBT ac activists. 
And he was the one, you might have seen pictures of somebody passing out Call of Duty loadout guns. Like these are the guys that me and my brothers will be playing Call of Duty with, by the looks of it, to Israeli settlers in the West Bank. So he is directly arming Israeli settlers in the West Bank. Doesn't seem very peaceful. He also has a role within a defence ministry overseeing the West Bank settlements, which he wants to see expanded. He wants to see more Israeli settlements in the West Bank and eventually the whole an annexation of the whole region. Basically means he wants that whole West Bank region to be part of Israel. Sounds like a very um, delightful chap. Foreign Minister Eli Cohen. He was the previous uh, intelligence minister in, uh, in a... Um, Netanyahu government. He visited Sudan to help bring African Arab countries into a regional normalization deal known as the Abraham Accords. Now we've got a the National Security Minister, Itamar Ben Gavir. He is also another West Bank settler who heads up right-wing Jewish Jewish Power Party. He is in charge of the police. He favors free or open fire regulation regulations for Israeli security forces in the face of Arab unrest. What does this mean? He is in support of Israeli police, Israeli security forces to be able to open fire on protesters and people who are displeased with what's happening. And as you've seen on various news, I was watching the video literally just today, Sky News reported on a 15 year old who was shot by Israeli security services to dead, right? And this is not conjecture. This is not Hamas propaganda as a bunch of pathetic people come on TV to spew. You literally see the video on Sky News of this boy, 15-year-old boy, one of his friends, walking to the street with a hair commotion. He has his phone in his hand and he's shot dead in cold blood. This is what these men are doing. Right in front of our eyes. And these bitch-ass politicians and these bitch-ass publications are watching it and co-signing it. Anyway, sorry I got sidetracked. Um... This national security minister also opposes Palestinian statehood, shock horror, and he advocates of dismantling the interim Palestinian Authority government, which has been set up since the late 1990s. So he doesn't want the government to even exist for obvious reasons. He was once a member of the Kahan Chai, a Jewish militant group that was so bad they were blacklisted by not only Israel, also the US. Obviously, he's since disapproved those views. He's also been convicted of incitement against Arabs and support of terrorism in 2017. So somebody who's been convicted of supporting terrorism, inciting hatred against Arabs, was also part of a hatred group that was backlisted by both Israel and the US, is the current national security minister. Anyways. And finally, Interior and Health Minister Are Dieri. Dieri is an um, ultra-Orthodox rabbi. He's also a veteran leader of Shas, which draws support from religious Jews in Middle Eastern descent. His appointment to the Netanyahu government has been challenged by the Israeli Supreme Court because he was convicted for tax fraud. He didn't serve prison time. In 1999, Derry was sentenced to three years in jail for taking bribes. But he returned to politics in 2012 under his coalition deal, he will become finance minister in two years. So in two years, he's going to be the fin- finance minister. Imagine someone, imagine, um, who's the, Jeremy Hunt is the current 
um, Chancellor Exchequer, Chancellor of the Exchequer, the person in charge of the country's finances. Imagine if we knew that he was convicted to jail time for bribery. These are the people in power right now in Israel. These are the people that people want us to believe. There's criminals up and down. There is people who believe in annexation and basically expelling Palestinians. So these people are pretty much pro-genocide. And these are the people, sorry, rant time. There's this guy, I forgot my man's name. He's an editor of Jewish Chronicle. Nasty piece of work. What he does is he uses anti-Semitism to effectively shut down any questioning of the acts of the Israeli government. Anti-Semitism is wrong, but questioning a far-right racist criminal organisation effectively that are committing acts of terrorism and genocide Hold them to account, it's not anti-Jewish. Just because they're Jewish, I don't mean it's anti-Jewish. Unless you believe Jewish people could do no wrong. Which is ridiculous. It's absurd. A gentleman was on BBC and this man was talking about, I need to get his name, bruv. This man was talking about, oh, he was talking about how we can't really believe, it was implying that the Israeli government have a history of lying, which they do. It's well documented because they've told us. They've come out and admitted their lies. We've seen them doctor several images we see them put out fake news and had to delete it. We've got, I've got some more stories for you about that later. So they're clearly untrustworthy. But this, but these type of people will come in and say, oh, so they're saying Jews are untrustworthy? No. It's disgusting. Shut the fuck up. We don't want to see innocent people die. That doesn't make us anti-Semitic. Anyway. Let's go back to Benjamin Netanyahu and his history in politics and how he has dealt with the Palestinian issue and this is going to shock you so the Oslo peace accord which I detailed two pods ago is where the world was trying to get to find peace in the region and this is where the Palestinian authority agreed to see Israel as a state and they do not want to wipe Israel the face of the earth and they just want peace Benjamin Netanyahu was opposed to this from the start he had a book I can't remember the name of the book but in his chapter Trojan Horse in 1993, he argued against Oslo peace process. He alleged Asim al Husseini, who was a former influential leader in Palestine, who's not, who passed in 1974, was the mastermind of the Holocaust, and Yasser Arafat was the heir to the former alleged exterminations Nazi, Nazism. A bit of a reach, but what do I know? During um, Benjamin Netanyahu's term as Prime Minister, in the 1990s, he routinely, routinely reneged on the commitments made by previous Israeli governments as part of the peace process. So, so every time previous Israeli governments will do will make certain deals with um, the Palestinians to kind of forge peace, he will just reverse it like blackjack. Bring back, so you're back in the game. And all this does is build tension and tension within the region. And of course, and this is how the Hamas risen through the ranks. Because the people, like, we might as well bring in these men, because these men, because the PA and Fatah, yeah, you're green, you're green with these men, peace, peace, and they keep on slapping us in the face. So he, we're going to, we're going to, trust me, figure out this point where I just said about Hamas, yeah? Just, just think about it, think about it. 
in 2001 video, Netanyahu wasn't actually aware he was being recorded, but this is what he said, and I quote, they asked me before the election if I honour the Oslo Accords. I said I would. But I'm going to interpret the Accords in such a way that would allow me to put an end to the galloping forward of the 67 borders. How do we do it? Nobody said we. Nobody said what the five military zones were. The five military zones are security zones. As far as I'm concerned, the entire Jordan Valley is a defined military zone. Go argue. So he's, he mentioned the push towards the 1967 borders. So this means a like okay cool we're gonna now focus on these borders, um, Palestinians get some extra land and this is how we go, we're gonna have peace. He was like yeah 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 but I'm gonna use this loophole so they don't get these this, these bits of lands. He's an RC piece of work. He's also called U.S. bats peace talks a waste of time. He wasted the time of um, President Clinton. He was trying to force peace. He has refused to commit to the same two-party state solution, two-state solution other Israeli prime ministers have approved. So this is a very interesting dynamic because when people keep talking about people walking away from peace and stuff like that, it's because when you have people like Benjamin Netanyahu, he doesn't provide an element of trust for the other side. And this is the issue of politics because one man can come with his agenda and scatter all the work of somebody else. And in my humble opinion... Israeli people are safer without this man in charge, as are Palestinians. We, we keep on moving. In January 2020, Netanyahu publicly supported Trump's Israeli-Palestine peace plan. After the peace proposal failed, Trump said Netanyahu never wanted peace with the Palestinians. And listen to this. Former United States Secretary of State, so this is not some any person, this is a Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson stated that on 22nd of May 2017, Netanyahu showed Donald Trump a fake and altered video of Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas calling for the killing of children. And this was at a time when Trump was considering if Israel was up, was obstacle to peace. Netanyahu showed Trump a fake video to change his position in Israeli-Palestinian conflict. These men are showing fake news to the Ross Clark president of the United States of America. This, you cannot trust these men. And when I mean these men, disclaimer, just in case some of you nasty youths out there, I'm being very specific to Benjamin Netanyahu and his government. I don't mean Israelis as a whole. You can't, tr if a man can show a altered and fake video to the fucking president of the United States, I'm sorry, there's nothing that man can say that I will believe. And I've got plenty of evidence across this pod to further that. And the evidence is coming thick and fast. We're going to talk about Benjamin Netanyahu's relationship and his ties with Hamas. You don't think it, wait, hold on. This man is blowing up the whole of Gaza trying to take over Hamas. He said he's going to eradicate Hamas. Yeah, I know. But he is the reason why Hamas still exists today and are powerful than ever. I'm going to read you a quote. Anyone who wants to fraud the, the, fraud the establishment of a Palestinian state has to support the bolstering of Hamas and transfer money to Hamas. This is part of our strategy. 
to isolate the Palestinians in Gaza from the Palestinians from the West Bank. This was said by somebody in 2019, and you guessed it, this was said by Netanyahu. So what is he saying? If you want, to, so they do not want the Palestinians in Gaza to be united with the Palestinians in the West Bank, right? Palestinians in, the, in Gaza are currently uh, the ruling part, the ruling authority there is Hamas. And in the West Bank, the ruling authority there is the Palestinian Authority, right? He doesn't want them to link up because that will mean there's a stronger chance of a Palestinian state being established. And he doesn't want a Palestinian state to be established at all. So if you give Hamas money, this won't happen. For 14 years, Benjamin Netanyahu's policy was to keep Hamas in power. And many of his comrades on the right side of Israeli politics were in agreement because they didn't want a united Palestine. So they, so they supported Hamas. What's kind of crazy is that he was on the roads and October the 7th has actually preserved his right to rule. But we'll get onto that a bit later. Since he returned to politics in 2009, his main goals was to bolster the, ru the rule of Hamas in the Gaza Strip and weaken the Palestinian Authority, which is like the more political and moderate arm of Palestine. He, he was very different from his predecessor, President Ehud Oder, who sought to end the conflict with peace. He wanted peace between Israel, peace between Palestine. And he was doing this with the most moderate Palestinian leader, President Mahmoud Abbas. So these two are moderate, they want peace for both their people. Netanyahu, on the other hand, has been implementing a divide and conquer policy between the West Bank and Gaza. Hamas have been supported and they have been funded by Benjamin Netanyahu. When Netanyahu declared in April 2019, as he, as he after every round of fight, after every round of fighting, we have restored the terrorists of Hamas and that we have blocked the main supply routes, he was lying through his teeth. And this is not Hamas propaganda, bro. I'm getting this directly from quotes. I'm giving you some of his quotes. I'm reading this from Israeli newspapers or publications, bro as well as publications from the West, as well as Al Jazeera and so on forth. This, this is facts. This is not conjecture. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was key in turning them from a small terror organisation with minimal resources into pretty much a state body, right? He released Palestinian prisoners. He allowed cash transfers. And these are Qatari envoys with cash and goods to come in and out of Gaza as he pleases. Bearing in mind, Gaza is besieged with, by Israeli military and they control food, medicine, oil, and imports and exports, it's all controlled. But for Hamas, they can get whatever they want. So it's funny when you see these. So when next time you're watching Piers Morgan, all these other places where I speak, when you get all these, all these people speaking about how you should be arguing at Hamas, they stole millions of aid. Yeah, and lots, lots of it, and billions was given by your prime minister. I'll keep on going. Benjamin Netanyahu agrees to import 
broad array of goods, constructions, material in particular, with the knowledge that these materials will be designated for terrorism and not for building civilian infrastructure, increasing number of work permits for Israel, for Palestinian workers, Israel, for Palestinian workers from Gaza, much more. No. All these developments were created for fundamentalist terrorism and the, which enables the preservation of this man in power. So he's playing political chess to stay in power, to make sure that these men don't have United, um, United Palestine. He was literally funding Hamas. Fact. He didn't give a monkey that Palestinian people would not benefit from resources. He just wanted to destroy the moderate President Mahmoud Abbas, who he saw as a threat, and to prevent division of Israel into two states, a division of land. And what I think my interpretation of this is that if you look at a map, you have Israel, and then on the left, a tiny strip, the, uh, the Gaza Strip, and then on the right, with the border of Jordan, you've got um, the West Bank, which is, has occupied territory, so on and so forth. But if these are both Palestinian lands, for them to be one country, there's a whole bunch of land in between that's Israeli. So effectively, if they become one country, there's going to have to be land throughout the middle of Israel, effectively, to conjoin these two states, these two territories. And obviously, they don't want to divide Israel into two separate parts of land. <sighs> anyway. Without funds from Qatar, which was obviously... Benjamin Netanyahu's cash transfers as well. And obviously funding from Iran, who Benjamin Netanyahu hates, by the way. And obviously they are the, uh, they're the main ops of Israel. Hamas will not have the resources to maintain the operations, letting them still be in charge now. And the reason why he wants he specified cash because bank transfers, bank deposits are accountable. You can trace these. You can't trace cash, bro. You can't trace cash. And he supported this for obvious reasons. Even Mahmoud Abbas stopped providing Hamas with funds. But obviously Netanyahu continues to do so because Abbas knows that I'm not giving these men money so they can come and pan me. But Benjamin Netanyahu was making sure that he was giving them the money. You know what I'm saying? He, he has been guided by a policy that pretty much completely ignores the terrorism of the rockets and incendiary kites and balloons from Hamas. Occasionally, the media will get like what, um, I can't remember the name of the Israeli paper I was reading. They call them dog and pony shows where weapons were captured. This is kind of like if you ever watch Narcos, any of these drug shows where the police will have random raids, but they're getting paid off. And this is part of the show. And this is what the Benjamin Netanyahu government was doing. At one point, Benjamin Netanyahu's nightmare was almost realised. And this is when the collapse of the Hamas regime was on the horizon. And this is something that Israel could have expedited. Israel could have really addressed this a long time ago. Of course, it was going to be costly, but they could have done it. And this was very much highlighted by something called Operation Protective Edge. At the time, Netanyahu leaked this operation. This is high-level security stuff. 
he leaked this operation to the media. And this was a context of representation that the military had made to the security cabinet, laying out the potential repercussions of conquering Gaza. He obviously knew that this secret document, which noted occupying Gaza would cost the lives of hundreds of soldiers, would create an atmosphere of opposition of a, to a widespread ground invasion from both the Palestinian side as well as the Israeli side. Right? So, obviously, Pete just shut down this operation, but this operation was going to be a grand operation, covert, uh, smart, like, precise to take out key Hamas targets. Not like what they're doing now, where they're blanket bombing everybody, and they've barely killed many Hamas targets. They've killed 11,000 civilians, though. This shows that if they wanted to... So when people like Piers Morgan and Ben Sharipo and whatever that rabbi's name is, as always on TV, these people say, we have the right to defend ourselves. Yeah. Not like that, though. That's not the only rules of engagement. That's not the only thing you can do. If you have intelligence on the whereabouts of these people you tell us there's 500 kilometers of tunnels get cracking what's 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 the point on blowing up civilian homes infrastructure hospitals well i'm sure by now almost 40 minutes into the podcast you know why so take this and deep this netanyahu leaked a top secret document in order to thwart the military and diplomatic position of the cabinet, which sought to defeat Hamas with various means. And this... I will listen to the words of Avigdor Lieberman, who told uh, Yadif Afnov in an interview published, and this is before October 7th was told, that Netanyahu continuously thwarted all targeted assassinations. So anytime there's a targeted assassination of a key Hamas operative, he stopped it. So for several years, he could have stopped Hamas, who, he, who they say is the biggest threat to Israeli existence. And this is why I get irritated when I'm watching these debates and these news shows. You keep talking about these are threats to Israeli existence. The Israeli government have been boosting these people. So why are they held into account? If these people are such a, a, a threat to Israel, why are they FB funded by Israel? Why aren't these questions being answered? And Benjamin Netanyahu wasn't just committed to funding Hamas. He was also determined to make sure he sabotages any political setting of differences between the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. The main issue between the Palestinian Authority, aka Fatah and the PLO, and Hamas was that Palestinian Authority needed Hamas to be their subordinates, to kind of be underneath the Palestinian Authority. Obviously, Hamas was really on him. But however, Hamas agreed, yo, Palestinian Authority, I know y'all are in the West Bank, but you can run the civil day-to-day -day matters, everything civil to do with the people in Gaza, you look can run it, but just let us keep our arms just in case these Israelis try it. The reconciliation between these two sides was being supported and negotiated by Egypt and USA. Because this was going to lead to further peace in the region. But Benjamin Netanyahu, of course, rejected it. Reconciliation between Hamas and the PLO makes achieving peace harder. <laughs> 
crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Former chief of staff for the IDF, which is the Israeli Defense Force, um, Gadi Exnots told Mariv last January that Netanyahu acted in total opposite, total opposition of the national assessment of the National Security Council, which determined that there was a need to disconnect from the Palestinians and establish two states. This is what the experts of security are saying, and he totally opposed it. He continuously weakened the Palestinian Authority and strengthened Hamas. August 2019, former Prime Minister Ehud Barak told Army Radio that people who believe that Netanyahu had no strategy were mistaken. His strategy is to keep Hamas alive and kicking, even at the price of abandoning citizens in the South in order to weaken PA and Ramallah. Ramallah, Ramallah, sorry. April 2019, Jonathan Ulrich, one of Netanyahu's media advisors and a Lucas spokesman told Makora Rishon that one of Netanyahu's achievements was separating Gaza, both politically and conceptually from the West Bank. Netanyahu basically smashed the vision of the Palestinian state in these two places, he boasted. Some of the achievements related to the Qatari money, some of, achieve, some of the achievement, achievement is related to Qatari money reaching Hamas each month. So here are people very much linked telling you the tinkers. So Hamas ability to carry out October the 7th attacks is severely linked to Benjamin Netanyahu. And bro, now you have conspiracy theorists believing that these men knew and let it happen on purpose because um, they believe that, um, some people believe that because he's under threat, he needed this. I'm not saying that happened. That's conspiracy theory. I don't do all conspiracy theories. I'm just not dealing with facts and figures, quotes and deductive reasoning. But you can understand why people have a suspicion. You've been in bed with these men for time. Give them money. You have amazing intelligence and security forces. How did this happen? What's interesting, and I kind of find it ironic, yeah, is regarding Benjamin Netanyahu's late brother. So, Yoni um, Netanyahu, he was already a decorated officer in Israel's army's elite Sayarita Makal. They led a mission that freed 102 Jewish hostages, Jewish hostages being held in Uganda's Entebbe by members of the Popular Front for Liberation of Palestine, and they left this West German radical group, Red Army Faction. The hostages were, were among the passengers of an Air France flight from Athens on the way to Tel Aviv. It was hijacked by terrorists who flew them to Uganda. Then, a, obviously, this was under Idi Amin, who was a very strong supporter of the Palestinians. The terrorists freed those of the plane's 258 passengers who did not appear to be Israeli or Jewish and held the rest hostages. Their demand was that they release 53 terrorists in jails across Israel, Kenya, West Germany and a few other nations. So what happened? Did Israel go into Uganda and bomb it mercilessly? No, they didn't. Israel flew in a commander group of around 200 soldiers in four Hercules aircraft. I think there was also United States assistance with this. The Israeli commandos breached the terminal where the hostages were being held, managed to rescue all 102 people and killed all the terrorists and dozens of Ugandan soldiers. Three of the hostages were killed in the crossfire. Um, Yoni Netanyahu was unfortunately killed during a raid. 
he was the only Israeli casualty. And in his honour, um, the raid was named later Mr. Yonatan, Operation Yonatan. So his brother is even a flipping war hero. So look, they were able to do these covert operations without having to blow everybody and kill dozens of innocent people on purpose. I spoke about Operational um, Edge, which is going to be of a similar vein. But no, Mr. Yesenia Hall's government wants to blow up everything. So let's um, also talk about some of um, his lowlights. Uh, well, to be fair, he's actually, funny enough, he's actually pro-LGBT. Netanyahu is actually an advocate for equal rights for LGBT. But of course, many of his coalition government members are completely not. And currently it is illegal to be uh, for same-sex marriage in Israel, but you can be married abroad. Um, in terms of you can have a marriage abroad and be like married as a same-sex couple and that will be honoured in Israel. I think that was being imposed ever since 2006. Um, he hates Iran. In March 2007, in March 2007, in an interview with CNN, he said that the only difference between Nazi Germany and the Islamic Republic of Iran is that Nazi Germany first entered a worldwide conflict and sought atomic weapons, whilst Iran are looking for um, um, looking for like atomic weapons and then will go into world war. Benjamin Netanyahu is currently under investigation for corruption. When I say currently, I mean right now, right? He's currently on trial for bribery fraud and breach of trust by him and close political allies during his fourth and fifth political term as Israeli Prime Minister. The Israeli police began investigating this in December 2016 and they recommended indictments for him against him in November 2019. The trial began in May 2020 and they have witness testimonies starting in April 2021. The prosecution have 333 witnesses. They are not here to play games. So there's three cases that I want to look at. Case 1000, conflict of, conflict of interest. When he was a Minister of Communications and Handle Affairs related to Aaron Mitchell's business interests, he allegedly received expensive cigars and champagne from um, Milchan worth $195,000 over a 20, 20 year period, as well as jewelry for his wife worth $3,000. They have three incidents when he allegedly assisted Milchan. There's case 2000, which involves three meetings between Netanyahu and Anon Moses between 2000 and 2014, which they discuss a possibility of legislation that will limit circulation of Israel Hayom in exchange for Yadiv hiring journalists more favourable to Netanyahu. So this is now basically controlling the media narrative. Netanyahu has been charged with fraud and breach of trust in this case, while Moses was charged in November 2019 for attempted bribery. And finally, case 4000, um, allegations that Netanyahu was promised regulatory changes that will be favourable of business interests of Shaul Elovich, uh, the owner of Bez Bezeg, in exchange for positive coverage of Netanyahu and his family in uh, Elektrovich news um, website, Walla. So man is un under investigation, bro. This is the people that they want us to believe. This is the people that President Biden is backing up, that Rishi Sunak and the Conservative government is backing up, that Keir Starmer is backing up, that Germany and so on and so forth are backing up. In this podcast, yeah, 
which has been recording for almost 50 minutes, I have detailed to you that this prime minister and his cabinet are full of bribery, tax fraud, terrorism charges, Zionism, genocide. And these are, bro, it's mad. So now I hope you people now have the tools to look at this conflict in a crystal clear light. It's crazy. But anyway, yeah, man, that's that from me from this week's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this. I think this was a brilliant podcast in my personal, humble opinion. Make sure you're giving out a young five stars on Apple and Spotify. And tell our friends, tell our friends, share this podcast car. There's a lot of important news in this that we are not seeing covered by our mainstream publications with enough detail for me. But yeah, man, on to next week. Peace and blessings. Bow. Sports Social Podcast Network.